0: Welcome to Truthscript Tuesday. I'm your host, John Harris, to talk about some of the articles that we've had on the Truthscript website over the last week. I'd give you the week in review of all of that. And uh, we hit on some pretty important topics. There's a number of articles uh, to go over today. And so before I do that, though, I want to make you aware of the conference that we have coming up called the overcoming evil conference for men. You can go check it out by going to overcoming evil That's overcoming evil conference.com. And uh, it is going to be this September 21st through 24th in speculator, New York. And uh, you're not going to want to miss this. We have a great price. We have a great lineup of speakers. Uh, and uh, th- this is for all men. Bring your sons, uh, there more details will be coming, will be forthcoming, but, um, uh, we, we have a landing page where you can check out what happened last year. You can, you can uh, probably have a lot of the questions that you have about accommodations and all of that answered there. So, uh, it's going to be at camp of the woods, which is, they have just phenomenal accommodations and I'm very much looking forward to it, but I'm going to be speaking Tom Rush, uh, Andrew Rappaport, A.D. Robles, Lance Ninhara, and Scott Harris, who's my pastor and my dad. So um, that should be good. And I want to let everyone know as well that the donations now are open uh, at Truthscript. You can actually donate to the ministry uh, if you uh, want to do that. If, if you we, we can't actually run this without uh, donations. And so uh, those behind it would greatly appreciate it. Uh, you go to the bottom of the whole uh, page and there's a donate tab. You can just click on that truthscript.com forward slash donate and uh, it explains a little bit more there. And then there's a, uh, a payment processor. So uh, it is a 501c3, so you can get a tax write off for donating to TruthScript and uh, we would greatly appreciate it. Okay. Well, let's talk about uh, some of the articles that we had this week. We'll start here with an article called Los Angeles to Caneyville. Los Angeles to Caneyville, if I can say that. Caneyville. Country people need Jesus too. And this is by Richard Henry. Here's a picture of downtown, I guess, Caneyville. So you can see it's a very small town. And um, Richard Henry, uh, Pastor Richard Henry, really just shares his story. uh, What brought him from California to Caneyville? And so he talks about uh, how he, he grew up in California. Uh, they moved when he was in California to a smaller town in Northern California, which he thinks prepared him. Uh, he wasn't converted though. He was going to church, but he didn't know the Lord. Uh, then he gets saved. And so he, he integrates a lot of his biographical information and being from California and being involved in media, he didn't really think he was going to be involved in a small church. That wasn't, at least when he was younger, on his radar. And yet that's exactly what happened. And he says he's grateful for it. Uh, Let me read for you a picture of this. Uh, This is towards the end. Um, He says, uh, the first time driving to Caneyville, I thought it was like any other small town in Kentucky. Highway driving, no traffic, winding through the two-lane roads, a few gas stations here, a couple mom-and-pop businesses there, a post office, and, of course, a Dollar General many different sized and styled homes, and a lot of church buildings. My first moments at New Harvest were similar to many I had before a run-of-the-mill building, both in size and style, average congregation, regular songs, Baptist decor, and customs. But two things struck me immediately, their generous hospitality and a craving to know God and His Word. These two things would ultimately confirm to me, the Lord's leading us there as full-time pastor later that year. And, and he, he ends it with this interesting four-point uh, benefits of small-town church. Uh, he, he talks about being present with the body. He says, I can see everyone's face from the pulpit on Sunday morning. I can personally pray right then and there with anyone. I can greet new people with ease. Right There's no rush uh, nature to this, and and I've been in bigger churches, and y- sometimes you don't even get to really know the pastor. You can't meet the pastor. If you do, it's brief. There's this barrier there, and not so in a small town church. Uh, genuine discipleship. He says his wife and him are much closer with the church body than they ever were in their 750 plus member churches before. Uh, sure, I wasn't the pastor of either, but something tells me this reality was still ring true. We easily share meals and burdens with the body. It's not just a, 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 us, though. The spirit of Christian hospitality lives here. And then the third thing is a speedboat, not a cruise line. He says, in a small church, we can get things done quickly. And that's so true. Uh, If the church trusts the pastor and is guided by the word, then things generally move well. And so he talks about that. He talks about, uh, very often I will invite to church, uh, pray with, and have gospel conversations with people I see regularly out in public. Smaller town equals less people, which means more transparency and ability to be authentic all this is nearly impossible in a big city. So uh, it doesn't mean that it's wrong to have a big city ministry. Obviously uh, that that's a good thing, but there are some pros and there's some cons. And um, here are some of the pros to a small town church. And, and this is uh, very different than I think what you're going to find on uh, other popular websites that really extol the virtues of uh, big urban ministries and the necessity to be in the city and for the city and, and these kinds of things. And, um oftentimes uh, there's this attitude of almost elitism looking down at people who are from these more uh blue collar working class middle state or or uh, red red flyover country areas and so um this article is a bit of a counter to that to just say hey wait a minute there's so there's some really good things about that kind of living that uh, maybe is undetected by people who live in the coastal areas or maybe you live in one of those small towns and you're attracted to the big city And you think that's where God's moving. Well, God's moving everywhere. He can move in the big city and he can also move uh, in small towns. And so uh, that was the first article uh, that we had uh, last week. And we also uh, had another article and and that's why um, the thumbnail for this is uh, the first word in it is calling because I think both of these have to do with calling. The first one being about uh, a pastor who gets called to a church in Caneyville, Kentucky. And then the second one, uh, a little more, uh, practical and abstract, uh, what constitutes a calling feeling called is not enough. When the local church takes a back seat, this is also written by a pastor, dusty Devers, And he walks through a scenario. He says, Peter just graduated from seminary. He aspires to a noble task. He put in his time. He's trained and ready. Now he needs to float his resume. He is blue chipper who would not want a young, intelligent, degreed, well-spoken family man who is called to pastor. He may have to settle for a part-time vocational gig, but surely it will be short-term. Full-time vocational ministry is the calling. It is God's plan for his life, or is it? And this is a question a lot of young men have. I've had this question, too. Uh, There is well-known stat in ministry circles that pastors average about three years before moving on to another church. And so he talks about this. uh, He talks about, um, could it be that in our most influential circles, we are inverting the ordo momenti order of importance between the inward call of the man and the outward call of the church so he's saying maybe there's a problem here maybe maybe that's the reason that pastors tend to not last at churches all that long he said there's a flaw in our typical definition of calling unfortunately our seminaries often do not help many churches with their pastor search committee also promote this defect the primary weakness is that most believe a calling to pastoral ministry is essentially between the man and god The inward call with very little emphasis on God's provided means of discerning and extending the outward call, the local church. Many functionally have divorced the inward call from the outward. And so this is the problem we see today, where how do you confirm a call? How do you know that you're called? Well, it, it becomes difficult with the model of sending someone to seminary and then that person ending up at a church that they have no familiarity with. They haven't served there. They don't know the people. Uh, that that's always going to be somewhat of a question, but, um, during the course of, uh, growing and, and exploring the gifts that God's given, uh, God uses people to confirm those gifts. And that's the argument being made here is that, uh, churches actually need to, uh, call pastors, not, not just because the pastor has a sense of calling, but churches actually need to be involved in this, in confirming this call and, um, and, and screening, uh, for pastors who have the call. A proper biblical view would recognize both the inward call and the outward call. In the outward call, a congregation submitted to the Spirit observes and examines a man to see if he is qualified for the ministry and extends an outward call as God leads. So he he goes into 10 pastoral calling imbalances, and I'm not going to read through all of these, but it's interesting. Uh, Let me read for you the first one, entitled, Pastor. Uh, This unhealthy view assumes that a ministry position is earned and de-emphasizes the outward evaluation of the local church. This view also lends toward men not seeking further growth, education, accountability, or submission to mentors after they have received their credentials. This is so common in many churches. The guy has his MDiv or he has his THM or his PhD or he went to the right seminary or knows the right people uh, that might not even go to the church, but it's from a circle that's trusted somehow. And and that's all you need. That's, That's it. And this is what he calls the entitled pastor. He talks about the celebrity pastor. Uh, he talks about, uh, the upwardly mobile pastor, the ladder climbing pastor, uh, the churchless pastor, the vocational only pastor, the CEO pastor. I think there's probably some overlap with some of these categories, the susceptible pastor, the schizophrenic pastor, the youth ministry transfer pastor. Oh, that's a common one. Well, we'll just take the guy from our youth ministry. That's not always wrong. But, uh, when you have an open position, it's not always right either. Uh, the undeserved pastor. Uh, and so these are all different uh, imbalances, the, the uh, people who could be called into ministry and it's they, they weren't really called for the right reasons. And so uh, he goes into that. And uh, th- this piece is going to actually have a follow up uh, soon that's going to explain more positively what local churches can do. But this is laying the groundwork. And uh, that's at the Script website. Um, n- another article, uh, that is very short, but interesting on the front line at Satan con by Vincent Moriera or, or Moreira, Moreira. uh, this is a, an individual who lives near the Boston area and not a pastor, but just a layman. And, um, it, it's really published here to give laymen and, and pastors an idea of maybe what they can do in their communities when this kind of thing happens. And so he talks about the biggest satanic gathering, supposedly, Uh, that happened in Boston a few months ago at the Marriott. And uh, he talks about how he and some Christians decided to go and uh, make their voices heard by protesting this event, but they shared the gospel. And so they talk about a young man who came up to them and they shared the gospel and he made a profession of faith. They talk about uh, how there was Antifa folks there who were trying to follow them probably to find out who they were because I think they had some masks on to kind of hide their identities, something like that. Um, I, I'm guessing because I saw some of the videos of some of this. And so, uh, I, but but they're, they're, it can be scary. I mean, it can be scary. You have a lot of uh, dangerous groups and, and that are attracted to something like a, a Satan con. And so uh, they were brave to go there, but they repeated uh, Psalms, the uh, 5th, 58th, and 140th Psalms especially. They, uh, did the apostles creed, I think, or the Lord's prayer rather. Um, and so they, they talk about how they wanted, they they were, uh, really encouraged by this and there's only a few of them, but they're going to be doing it again. And this is something that local churches really didn't take the lead on. Uh, you have the Satan con coming to their town and, and there's really not much of a pushback. And so some Christians who saw this decided to get together and do it. Uh, to go and and, uh, be a a light uh, to that particular uh, group. And so um, just an encouragement that, look, you don't need to necessarily run away from these things. These are actually opportunities to contrast with the the world, the flesh, the devil, to showcase the love and the truth of Jesus Christ and the gospel. So um, the article right now that is featured, though, this came out, um, I think, yesterday, uh, is called Injustice in the Evangelical Free Church of America. This is the last one we're going to look at. And I've been saving this one. I've wanted to talk about the Evangelical Free Church of America on my other podcast. And if those uh, who want to know more, you can go to my other podcast, Conversations That Matter. I often talk about uh, these issues. But uh, this article was on the TruthScript website, so I wanted to talk about it on this particular podcast. And it's... um. It's interesting what happened at the Evangelical Free Church of America, and I'm going to back up. I'm going to just let you know what I was aware of. For, first of all, uh, if you go to the website EFCAandSocialJustice.wordpress.com, that's EFCAandSocialJustice.wordpress.com, uh, you can find a number of articles about the Evangelical Free Church. And the last article on that website is written by a pastor I've had on my podcast, Conversations That Matter before. And he talks about the proposed bylaws that uh, are going to that were proposed and passed. By the way, we know they're passed now, in the EFCA. And he goes through these in detail and shows that a lot of this is about consolidation of the denomination. It's it's uh, more centralized control. It's uh, th- things like you know ma- making sure nominations are done uh, with this kind of smaller group, but not from the floor of their uh, meeting. Uh, so it's it's more controlled. Um it's consolidating a lot of power and and it, it will give them a lot more uh clout and influence from which is different for the evangelical free church. They're a little bit like the Southern Baptists in that some of them will even tell you, oh, we're not even part of a denomination. We cooperate for certain things. Well, what's happening to the Southern Baptists is now happening to the Evangelical Free Church. They're consolidating, they're centralizing power. Uh, and so uh, if you want to know the details, I would su- suggest going to that website. If you go to the business meeting website for their uh, Evangelical Free Church website, it says that these motions passed. So um, so that happened. Well, something else happened in all this that I think is fairly significant. Pastor Jeff Clewer uh, wrote a book, actually two books on social justice. One's called Woke Free Church. And he uh, really blew the whistle on what was happening in the Evangelical Free Church in regards to social justice. And of course, he was punished for this at the meeting. He was disciplined. And I'll read for you a little bit about this. Not only did the, e- the Free Church platform uh, Jarvis Williams, who is an advocate of critical race theory, but they also invited speakers at their East Leadership Conference, Washington, D.C., pastor and EFCA board member Bill Rydell. Rydell, uh, or Rydell, rather, encourage pastors to promote political diversity, giving legitimacy to the harmful agenda of the left with social justice right at the center. And I, and I played that on my other podcast conversations that matter. With all this evidence, what does a faithful pastor do with the EFCA? He fights back, and that is precisely what Pastor Clewer did. And so he talks about what Pastor Cleer did. Well, here's the results. Uh, as the, the free church publicly released woke material, Clewer publicly responded, which is what you're supposed to do, uh, for doing what a good shepherd is supposed to do, he has been disciplined. What is interesting is that while the leadership refuses to ordain him, Pastor Clewer is leading a vibrant church in Mount Laurel, New Jersey. So if you're in Mount Laurel, New Jersey, check it out. Uh, when Clewer arrived there in 2016, the church had 40 people, and now seven years later, the church has 300. Now, here's an inter- interesting thing to me. Pastor Jeff Clewer is someone who's been involved in urban ministry. He's in a blue state in arguably a blue area, I believe. Uh, and he has grown the church. He has been successful. How is it that he's been so successful? Uh, Usually people like that are rewarded, and yet he didn't do it the way that you're supposed to do it, right? That's not. This isn't the way that many of the social justice advocates want you to do it. He actually opposed social justice, and uh, now he's disciplined for it. So um, this is happening in real time in the Evangelical Free Church of America. Very sad uh, to see this, but uh, it's important to report on it. Uh, so people know what's going on. It might not be as big as the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, but it is a sizable uh, denomination. So so those are the articles for the weekend roundup here on Truthscript Tuesday. Uh, again, check out the conferences. Uh, we have the Overcoming Evil Men's Conference coming up. And uh, if you have some extra money lying around, and I'm not, most of us probably don't with the economy and everything, but if you do, if you happen to uh, want to donate to a 501c3, a ministry that's doing good work Putting out good material, helping the church. Uh, go to truthscript.com, go to the bottom, and you'll find the donate page there. And we could really use your help. We appreciate it. Uh, God bless. More coming. Bye now.